Welcome to another episode of the Big J and Little J Show, episode 52, where we'll be recapping Duke's loss at Wake Forest, Connor. Duke loss, 83-79, and we'll touch base really quickly on what happened in the game because I know everybody, all the media outlets already talked about it. People are probably exhausted to hear about it, so we're just going to talk about it, and I'm going to speak for both of us. Don't ban court storming and just add more security to slow down the inevitable. It's not stopping the inevitable. It's slowing it down so players can get off safely. And there. I have it basically covered, Connor. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. Um, shit, one of the thoughts that I've had that I don't think I've said yet is, uh, or maybe I did. I don't, I don't know. It all blends together. Um, kill the kill the end of game handshake line. Like if that's the reason that the visiting team is staying on the court and putting themselves in harm's way, kill that thing. I've been anti handshake line since uh, before I even met you. Uh, I covered a. Arkansas Pine Bluff football game against, I think it was Southern University, and saw a handshake line at the end of the game. It was a the most contentious football game I've ever seen. There were like eight personal fouls, just crazy back and forth, and it had a wild ending. Um, the handshake line devolved into about 150-person melee on the field with helmets flying, uh, guys trying to hit each other in the head with their helmets. Um so I, I digress. Um, kill handshake lines, like have better security, um, make it safer for the opposing team to get off the floor. And then college kids are going to be college kids. And I'm not about to ask a, you know, 67 year old guy who's picking up an extra shift as a security guard to make a little income on the side on a random Saturday to, stop 3,000 college kids from running onto the floor. Uh, that's just not the solution. Now, uh, Shire today confirmed that it is Filipowski's knee, correct? Yeah, that. Yeah, it's kind of funny that that even need to be, needed to be confirmed because John said it in the post game, and John was trying to think. Uh, John's two years as Duke's coach. I think he's been at that level of pissed off three times. And the first time was his post Virginia last year. Um, I wasn't up there in Charlottesville. I'm just using what he said on the teleconference uh, that, that next Monday after the ACC said, yeah, we screwed up. Um, after the pit game this year, when Blake Henson stands on the scorers table and that one was not a good feeling. Uh, and then after this game, uh, he was he was all kinds of mad. So you can understand why his wires got crossed and he thought it was Flip's ankle when it was actually Flip's knee because reporters that were out there in the hallway with Filipowski, his knee had the ice on it. Like his ankle was, was seemed fine. Um, I'm sure he, he, you know, he could have had something happen to his ankle, but it was his knee that was the main concern. Yeah, and I mean, he had... Look, Phil Pouse got a really good game. I mean, he uh, stat-wise, 17, 8, and 5, like, showed up pretty big on the road. The one thing that I'll say is one for six again from three. It seems like that is, like, the common number of three-pointers he shoots and the common three-pointer attempts that he makes. Like, he did make that one that was huge at the end of the game. We'll dissect the game because, I mean, this was such a high-level basketball game. I mean, like we've talked about previously, uh, I felt like it was a March Madness game. It was – Obviously, an ACC game, but it was high level bucket by Duke, punch bucket by Wake, and Duke would come right back, and Wake would come right back. And it was just exciting. It was great basketball. As a basketball fan, it's something that I fiend for. Like, I love that crap. And I love that game. And I, unfortunately for Duke, somebody had to lose that game, and it was Duke. And so this just talks more about Steve Forbes and what you've said too about Wake Forest that this is a tournament team. And like Shire said, they didn't need to beat Duke to be a tournament team. They're already a tournament team. Yeah, and that's, you know, that was the tough thing about the spot where both of these teams were in was, um, you know, all the metrics say Wake is a top 25 team. Like, they're, they've are they been in the top 25 on Ken Palm for a while. They've been, uh, I guess, in the net, it's really top 30 that matters because when you're top 30, if you go on the road and play somebody at home, it's a, it's a quad one for them. That's basically where Duke has lived all year. Um, the blowout against Pitt put Wake into 26th. Uh, they beat Pitt by 33 in the middle of the week last week, and that vaulted them all the way up to 26th. 
Um, I think they actually, I don't, I don't know where they are. Today. I think they're right around the same uh, neighborhood. So beating Duke on their home court didn't even have the same effect as it did when they blew Pitt out by 33, which it's a whole other discussion about how bad the net is for college basketball. But yeah, I mean, Wake needed a signature win, and this was their signature win. And Duke understands their role in the ACC. I mean, it's the same as Carolina's. It's the only two schools that this year that you can really count on being a bona fide quad one. You don't have to worry about them slipping out uh, in the next couple weeks. Like the, the other funny thing about this from the Wake perspective is Wake went into the weekend with one quad one win. And it was against Florida, which they retroactively got. Uh, they beat Florida in the ACC-SEC challenge back in whatever that was, November or whatever. Um, they came out of the weekend with one quad one win because Florida dropped from like 29 to 31st. So It, it makes no sense, dude. Like I, I just feel doesn't. like everything is just hip. It's just one thing cancels the other thing out and then it's just never there's too many data points that get lost and just i remember people said the eye test was lazy and that's why we came up with all this extra data and now it's like a roundabout way where the eye test matters more than the data points i want to go back to the eye test and i want to go back to the last 10 games like i think it's yeah. so important to get teams into the tournament that are playing well at that time and honestly that wake doesn't exactly have the best uh, pedigree there like they've been going win loss couple wins couple losses um, it's really a home road swing for them so this week is really important they have two road games but but yeah it's uh i we're we're losing what's the what's the saying we're losing the forest for the trees i think is is the way to put it like we're losing sight of the bigger picture while we chase all these freaking metrics that are dreamed up by computers and yeah, there there needs to be more of a blend between knowing what a team looks like and how good they play against quality opponents and using all the stuff like Ken Palm and Net and Bartorvik and everything else, you know, everything else. Yeah, I mean, it kind of goes to the point. You're, you're anti-replay, obviously, but replay, when it first came out, it was like, hey, this is good to find correct calls. But then it started to become such a hassle because of – breakdown not only a breakdown of one camera angle now there's like five camera angles and now instead of like it taking 10 seconds it's taking 10 minutes sometimes and it's just that's not the point of replay and that kind of goes with all these metrics it's like hey one metric was great to give you a different perception perspective and all of a sudden we have too many of them and so it's just like get back to no replay or one replay full speed and so it, no, you had it right the first time yeah no replay i know you're so anti-replay but we'll get back to the game Look, 83-79, I think Duke, Duke was up two at half, but that one possession that I want to talk about, Connor, and we're just going to go – there's not going to be a consistent way we're going to go about this game. I'm just taking, thinking about this play right now, and I'll go into it. So Proctor obviously turned it over late in the game, but the biggest play of the game for me, biggest possession of the game for me was the end of the half for Duke where Kyle Filipowski has it on the wing. Duke's obviously settling for one shot. I think there was – half a second difference between the shot clock and game clock where you yeah. can take it all the way down. And he settles for a stagnant three. And when Filipowski's stagnant, he's always short. And he was stagnant, had no momentum behind his shot, no legs. Not only does he miss it, Connor, he airballs it. So it goes out of bounds and the clock stops to give Wake Forest a full head of steam once they inbound the ball. And I know Jalen Blake's fouls the guy at half court, but that's what happens when you give a team that type of chance before a half of – you're backpedaling as a defender. You're scrambling. You see a loose ball. You just react, and then you get your hand caught in the cookie jar like Jalen Blakes did, double bonus or whatever it was for Wake. They hit a free throw or two, and Duke had a chance to go up four or five at the end of the half, or at worst just be up – or I'm sorry, they were up three or four before that, so they could have been up two possessions if Phil Pauski scores or still two possessions if he doesn't. Instead, he does that, turns it over, essentially an air ball – in that situation is a turnover weight goes and scores. Yeah. Um, look, how many times have we talked about this team's end of half struggles? Um, and, and they weren't, they weren't bad in the end of the, at the end of the half. Like I'm, I'm looking at the yellow, the, the official, uh, this is 
This is what my notes look like during a game. You can I, see that I love on. that. Yeah. I love that. It's a lot of chicken scratch, but it makes sense to me. Um, Proctor hit a three with three minutes left and Duke's up five. Uh, Wake answers with a Hunter Salas three. Flip makes two free throws. Um, Wake missed the front end of a one and one, and then they both traded misses, and then Carr made a, made a shot. McCain hits two free throws. Then I'm not going to run you through the whole – I didn't mean to run you through the whole play-by-play there. I just get lost in the in the yellow legal pad here. But the Wake possession before Filipowski's miss was Hunter Salas's first miss of the game. So you've yep. got that little momentum card going in your way. Like they, their guy who's been going off on you and torching you just missed after starting six for six. Uh, John called a timeout there to set up the final play. Or he called, I, I feel like he called a timeout before McCain's free throws with like a minute left. They called a minute. He, so I pulled it up on the the play by play for ESPN. Minute three left, Duke called timeout, and then Proctor missed that three. Gotcha. And then McCain got the offensive rebound and got fouled by Andrew Carr to make two free throws, go up 38-34. There you go. Um, so it was it was shaping up as a decent end of the first half. And then Jalen Blakes commits a foul that he shouldn't have. Kyle Filipowski takes a shot that was stagnant and was not a good shot to take in that situation. Um, and this, this goes to – you know, John has talked about it both in the post game and on the teleconference today as we record Monday. Um, games like this, the the big every, every bucket feels like it's a huge momentum swing just on itself. Um, it all it doesn't come theoretically. You know, we'll we'll uh, throw a hat tip to the game at Carolina with this one, but theoretically, games like that don't come down to effort. Like both teams want to win the same amount. It's not one of those, oh, they just wanted it more, or their their desire was so much more than the other team. It's about execution. And right. Duke's execution in, in that little snippet for like what eight seconds or ten seconds at the end of the first half is the difference between going to halftime with a multi-possession lead or going to halftime feeling like Wake has momentum because they just cut it to two. Uh and Wake had the ball coming out of halftime. Yeah, I mean, that, tied the game on the first possession. Yeah, because Duke had a chance. They're up 38 34 with Phil Pauski shooting that. They make that, they make a bucket. Best case, Duke gets a three. Duke's up seven. We're talking about Duke's up seven with, and they're a team that had the third longest streak of winning or uh, up at halftime winning the game or something. I can't remember the graphic ESPN had, but basically, Duke had a really good. Uh, record with them winning at halftime, being up at halftime. So instead of it being a two-point lead, you're up seven on the road. I mean, that's worked, it's a different ball game. Yeah, I completely forgot about. I, I'm glad you mentioned that because there's a there's a Twitter user. Um, I can't remember his name, and I'm I'm gonna feel really bad if he's one of our listeners, and I, I don't shout him out by name here. But he's told me that he's a former Duke SID, and he gave me a stat a couple weeks ago about Duke's record under Shire when leading at halftime. And it's, it's incredible. Um, and it, it's got one more loss than it had uh, whenever he told me about it, but, but yeah, it, it's. And a game like this too, Connor, both offenses were very efficient. Duke shot over 50%. Wake obviously shot 60%. So you well, remember there were, only, there, were, there were only 30 possessions in the first half that, that blew my mind at halftime was both of these teams like to get up and down and, they're both taking their time and just like getting whatever they wanted offensively. Well, it's clean basketball too. I mean, it wasn't like it was, that's what I mean. It's high level, beautiful basketball. It wasn't sloppy where Duke's throwing it around and then Wake's throwing it around. And there, there are pockets as college ball, so you're going to see that every now and then. But it was a clean, crisp, high level game. And what I was going to say too, what I was going off for that is another empty possession that cost Duke that I think about is the Mark Mitchell corner three that seemed like it was just too rushed in that big of a moment. Duke's tie is 62-62 with a little under nine minutes left in the second half. And I know it's like, hey, it's tie game, nine minutes left. But in a game where I just said that Duke shot 53%, Wake shot 60%, that three-pointer in the corner has to be anybody but Mark Mitchell in that instance for Duke because you cannot give up that empty of a possession in this type of game. So to play devil's advocate, he just scored on the previous possession. 
Yep, go ahead and be devil's advocate. And he's now he's now down to seven for thirteen since snapping his streak uh, in early January. I know he is. He's shooting like forty five percent from three in ACC play, which I get, but it's small sample size. But and you did say he did score the previous possession. I would like to go on record that it was a layup, not a jump shot. So. <laughs> if he would have hit like a 15 footer and then I was like, okay, he's spilling it. And then the next possession, he shoots a three. I'm like, okay. How many, how many 15 footers has he made this year? Well, he, is a, he is a no, two level scorer. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. If he would have hit a jumper, I'm like, oh, okay. That's how you're feeling. And then he shoots a three after that. I'm like, okay, he's feeling himself. But it wasn't like you he's know. trying to get himself going. Uh, yeah. Look, I, and I like Mark Mitchell. I really do. I, I do like Mark Mitchell. He is valuable for Duke and like, he he doesn't get talked about enough how important he is as a whole for Duke. I will well, say that. And this is where I bring up my one of my stupid bits from Twitter. Well, it's not really stupid because it is legit. It's factual. Yeah, it's a lot of double, data. Mark Mitchell double digit tracker is 30 and 3 when he plays when he scores in double figures the last two years. The inverse of that is when he plays and scores in single figures, Duke is 16 and 10. It's a pretty big difference between winning 90, what, 30 out of 33, I think is 91% of your games. One's a national um, championship contending record and the other's NIT. Yeah, 16, 16 wins in 26 such games, if I'm doing the math right, is something around 60 to 65% of your wins. Yeah, Joe and Hardy would have a 16 and 10 ACC team in the CIT. <laughs> <laughs> ACC teams can't go to the CIT or CBI. Uh, one of the one of those teams, no, like it's legit. Like one of those, maybe Georgia Tech in the last ten years went to the CBI, and the conference told every team, like, no more of this. You you cannot go play in this. <laughs> yeah, bullshit. no shit. You yeah. cannot go play in this bullshit buy your way in tournament for mid majors and low majors. You can't play against UNC Wilmington in the in the championship game. Hey, Wilmington's. Had a decent year, haven't they? Yeah, they have. But I'm saying when they're not in the tournament, they don't they don't play in the NIT. They play in the CBI or CIT, and they've there won it. That's, that's why. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, in two and two, when Mark Mitchell does not play for Duke, we know we know one of the ones. Another one was Pitt this year, and then two wins were like Dartmouth at the beginning of the year, and uh, the the shitty game that they played and won. Um, was it Georgia Tech at home? Probably, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't have it in front of me, but it, that sounds right. Because the other, the other shitty games, he was the leading score against Notre Dame both times. Yeah, in double figures. Yep. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I can see why you have a problem with the corner three. Um, and that's me. My, my vantage, look, my vantage point of it was better than it is at Cameron because we're behind the basket and elevated, so we can really see the trajectory and, you know. He he line drives the ball. It's uh, I told somebody in pregame when we were watching Duke warm up, watching Mark Mitchell stand in one corner and Caleb Foster stand in the other corner, is two people doing the same thing technically, and they're doing it completely different ways. It's like comparing somebody with mortar fire compared to somebody who has a sniper rifle. <laughs> well, the arcs are completely different. One's a line drive, and Caleb shoots a. The highest arcing shot on the team. So I, I've, I've never seen. I've never seen somebody shoot with tighter rotation or higher arc than Caleb Foster and have a consistent shot. Yeah, but also I think or sidetrack a little bit. But also I think he struggles from free throw line because he shoots too high. But that's all. That's me nitpicking as a shooting coach that I think it needs to be a little bit lower off the trajectory. But the Mark Mitchell thing, I do want to segue into the stat I told you that I was going to tell you off uh, before we started the show. So. Connor told me, and if you listen to the show, you know that I love plus minus. Connor gave a good plus minus to me yesterday about Efton Reed. And so my plus minus to you, Connor, I want you to talk about Efton Reed after I talk about this plus minus that I have for you about Duke. Duke, do you know who the highest plus minus was on the team for Duke in the game against Wake Forest? Do you have a guess? Oh, I, I, I was almost cheating there. I was pulling it up. I hit the refresh button, but I got off that tab. Highest plus minus for Duke was probably – was it Jared McCain? No. 
It was Ryan Young. Ryan Young was plus 18. Plus 18. Wow. Do you know who the worst plus minus was for Duke? Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell at minus 19. He could not. He, that was, I mean, you saw, like, I think, I think Shire. I think Shire made a reference to it in his post game uh, when he was actually talking about the game. Was said something about it wasn't exactly chess out there. It was more like checkers. Like, we're, we're yeah, just, I mean, it really was he, like it was one on one defense uh, in the post where Carr was getting his way, but then Mark Mitchell had the last checker move, if you will, and he had the biggest stop of the game for Duke that yeah. led to. Duke having a chance to go tie or win it. So, like, he was minus 19, but he made the biggest stop of the night for Duke. Which is why I try to tell people, like, with every stat, there's no right. one end-all, be-all stat. But like, We were just talking about, so like, the ranking. Like, all these data points are, like, bullshit because there's so many, and we're telling you plus, minus. But, you know, it's still it, – it, it, that is eye-drop, like, jaw-dropping, eye-popping numbers. Yeah, we're literally two games away from Ryan Young putting, I think, on Instagram – uh, thanking Jared McCain for blowing up his plus minus when he made a bunch of shots at Florida State when Ryan was in the game. Yeah, uh, Ryan had a lot to do with those, obviously. It's flawed, obviously, but it's still for it to be a four point game. It, it's not completely flawed where you see that significant of a number both ways. And you're just like, Duke was really that much better with Ryan Young on the court than Mark Mitchell. And, you know, it's, it was just, it got my attention. It helps explain, uh, I wish I had known this before. Um, it helps explain why John was putting Ryan Young out there in some tedious foul situations and just got over-aggressive a few times too many. But, yeah, he, he kept him in there in the first half with two and trusted him to be a senior and not pick up a third, and he picked up a third. And then, yeah, he had him in the game with four, uh, I want to say with like five or six minutes left, and he picked up his fifth. Six, six oh five is when he picked up his fifth foul. Yep. He picked up a six foul. Duke's up two. Andrew Carr makes a three to go up one immediately after. And that was the yep. last lead change of the game. You and that yellow notepad. Look at that. Just coming ready. Connor just bringing you the goodies. And I was going to say off of that, Connor, that Ryan Young fouled out because we talked about this too. And I said it on Twitter that the ref started calling hand checks on Duke for hard hedging. And I'm not making that as an excuse. I'm not making that excuse about why Duke lost the game or whatever. Just the refs sometimes do that. It's a there's a flow to the game, and then refs just start calling things a lot differently in certain times of games. And so Ryan Young got called on a foul for hard hedging. I think Mark Mitchell did earlier in the game, and then uh, Filipowski did it the next possession. And so Wake Forest shooting free throws. Now all of a sudden, Filipowski's with four fouls. Ryan Young's with five. So that leads to John Shire going zone. Oh, and by the way, leading up to the zone possession, Connor, Wake Forest was shooting 63% from the field. So Duke wasn't getting a stop on defense in man-to-man, and your best player has four fouls with 4.36 to go in the game. So that leads me to Wake Forest and your boy Cameron Hildreth, who please tell the listeners when's the last time he hit a three because that's the guy Duke wants to shoot a three in that situation. Oh, it had been like six games. I think it would have been six games. I, the only thing you need to know about Cam Hildreth is while we don't know the official diagnosis, uh, about more than a month ago now, Steve Forbes told us he has a wrist injury. His right wrist is messed up to the point where he needs a, a surgery after the season. Like Wake is going to play their last game, and within a week of whenever that last game is, Cam Hildreth is going to have his wrist cut open and operated on. That's how much of – that's how he's hurt. Like he's just, he's playing hurt. It's, it's funny with fans, man. The, uh, he wore a brace and sucked and was shooting air balls and bricks all the time. Then he was wearing a wrap and it looked a little bit better and he made a couple shots. Uh, and now he's been playing without one. So fans will see that and say, Oh, well he's better. Cause he's not wearing anything anymore. No, it just means that he didn't like how it felt when he had a brace and tape on it. Yeah, it's still a screwed up wrist. It still hurts. It's like a sprained ankle. Some people don't keep an ankle brace on because it's still sprained. It's just they want that fluid motion. Yeah. Yeah. They want to, they, you, 
you can play through the pain more than you can tolerate having that feeling of a foreign object on your body. Yeah. So yeah, I mean the he banged the corner three and and that was that was a dagger. Both of these coaches like I like to think I know both of these coaches pretty well and know their philosophies and tendencies. Uh, they're both pretty closely aligned with me and my zone is for cowards opinion. Um, they, they, they don't like playing zone. They just don't. So yeah, you I mean, have, you know, like knowing that, you know how much of a desperation move it is on Duke's part to go zone yeah. and try to keep Filipowski on the, on the floor. The broadcast said it was the 22nd possession of the season Duke played zone. I would like to see I would like to see evidence of the other 21. Well, I was going to say and I guarantee you at least a third of those came in blowout wins against like bad opponents where Duke's just like, "Hey, just sat, like we're not really playing defense, just everybody let's get out of here and be healthy." Yeah. Like I, I, that's what I'm thinking because 22 possessions is not that many possessions and like you said Shire doesn't like playing zone and Duke's like playing man, but you know when Hunter Silas is 11 of 13 against your guards and Wake Forest shooting 63%. You got to throw a wrench in when Philipowski picks up his fourth foul because the guy's just always in foul trouble too, which I've talked about on the show. And he had four again on the road. And look, what happened happened. But then this is where I just love Shire. This is why I love Shire because he calls timeout and then draws the perfect play for Jared McCain to hit a three. So Duke's down four. The roof's blowing off the place because it's getting crunch time. And he draws up a three for McCain to hit a three to go up or to go to cut the lead from four to one. Duke's down 73-72. And then what I want to talk about, Connor, too, that we haven't talked about was the uh Mark Mitchell 240 left. It was a Mark Mitchell block. Duke's down three, but it, Mark Mitchell didn't block it as much as I think was it Hildreth. I don't Carr Hildreth was driving to the rim and lost it out of bounds, and they gave it to Wake Forest. But I'm not saying, again, that calls Duke the game because what you cannot do and what loses you games is baseline out-of-bounds plays, and they throw a lob to Andrew Carr, made a layup over Filipowski because he got lost in the baseline out-of-bounds, and that made Wake go up five with 230 left. That cannot happen, especially on the road in crunch time. Look, obviously know these two teams better than any other ACC teams, but for my money, these are the two best – you basketball heads call them blobs because it's baseline out of bounds. Correct. These are the best two teams in the ACC at running them. They get, they get easy buckets off of them when other teams kind of will be happy. Uh, my long story short, my high school team was not very good. Our baseline out of bounds play was throw the ball into the backcourt and have our point guard go and get it. That, and my dad calls that Towson because I went to Towson high school. That was our baseline out of bounds. These teams don't do that. Like you'll see other team, other other ACC teams aren't good at it, and they just will be happy to get the ball inbounds. These two teams want to take advantage of having the ball inbounded from a place of strength. Like you're you're under their basket. It's easy to get the ball somewhere that is not always easy to go, and they turn it into an advantage. And I would I would hazard a guess to say that Wake has scored on a Andrew Carr lob on a on a blob probably about ten times this year. Yeah, and obviously Duke had that scouted because if Wake has scored that many times out of that blob set that Shire had it. Hey, this is what we're doing defensively, and at the end of the day, that's just where amateurism comes into play. And you can it's one, it's one thing to scout it; it's another thing to know your scout when you've got fourteen thousand people screaming their head off. And I will take that famous line, like, it's not about the X's and O's, it's about the Jimmy and Joe's. And that's just one possession where you needed the Jimmy and Joe's. And Filipowski is a Jimmy and Joe, but in that possession, like, the X's and O's were there, just you got to make a play as a Jimmy and Joe and just didn't. So Next next thing you know, you're going to be quoting John Kirby and telling me you don't know how many of your guys can play dead in a cowboy movie. Those are always classic lines. I have have more where that came from, too. But we will not go there. I do want to go the last – as we keep trickling down, because these last four minutes is winning basketball. And you and I were on the Devil's Den podcast. It'll be released later this week, Tuesday, I think. But they asked a great question about um, our – what was it? It was a stat that in close games, Duke's two and five now in close games this season. Yeah. And I countered it was because they're like, is that a big deal or not? And I said 
it obviously it's all objective, but mine was no because the, as a Hornets fan before the trade deadline, where they only had nine games won, they were four and one in close games, which is like the best winning percentage in the NBA. So it's just like, hey, you know, you can look at it as a bad thing for Duke. They're two and five, but the Charlotte Hornets, who had the worst, second worst record in the league before the trade deadline, was four and one in close games. So I don't think it really matters much. Yeah, stats like that, I you know, again, uh, no stat is the end-all, be-all. It kind of makes me want to go look at, like, UConn has blown out so many people. What is UConn's record in games decided by five points or less? Well, that to go off of that, Connor, the biggest mind-blowing stat to me is they haven't won on the road against a ranked opponent in however long. They've won two national championships in that time frame. They're like 0-26 against ranked opponents on the road, and they've won two national titles. That's yeah. do stats even mean anything? Like, you know, like it's just they don't mean anything. We're just talking about stats, how they're bullshit. Then we give good stats and they're basically bullshit. And now the defending national champion hasn't won a road game since Obama was in office and they've won two national championships. I'm exaggerating. <laughs> I don't know when, but it was like 0 26. It's insane. No road games in the NCAA tournament. No, unless you're Duke. Except- or or for the NC State women when they have to go to Bridgeport, yeah, that was in, that was insane. That was a fuck you to NC State for multiple things, but that yeah. was crazy. But um, yeah. So that happens. Or the final segments, Connor. I want to talk about Duke's down five. Or let me backtrack from there. Jeremy Roach. Jeremy Roach had back to back turnovers and back to back possessions. I it's to me it's an out. It's an outlier because the guy's been the most clutch player in his career at Duke all four years. Like, if it's end of the game, end of a – if it's end of a game, end of a half, end of a possession, put the ball in his hands because I feel the most comfortable with him going to make a play than anybody else on the court for Duke. Yeah. Don't shake your head. I can't get uh, – well, the, the only image that comes to mind is honestly the Georgia Tech inbound where he doesn't get a shot off. It's not entirely his fault. No, but, but the lead eight against Texas Tech, he was the reason Duke beat them in the lead eight to go to the Final Four. Right, right. So that's the image no, I have. That's saying, the road I have in my head is like the biggest moment. Yeah, I'm not going to jump on the grenade and say Jeremy Clutch. Jeremy Roach isn't clutch. I almost called him Jeremy Clutch. I don't know. If he, I don't know if he's quite earned that one yet. Uh, we might might need to bookmark that one for next month if if they go on a run and it's because of him. Yeah. Um. But is there a reason for concern? Basically, where I'm going with that for you, do you think it's a concern for Duke that, like, he had back-to-back possession of turnovers, or it's just like, you know, like, Duke played a great game leading over the last minute and just shit happened? No, that's that's still the guy that I would go to, and I think John would say the same thing. Like, that's still their guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look, like, yeah, obviously this game mattered a lot to Duke. Uh, yeah. Excuse me. It, like, Duke did not want to lose this game. Duke is – not happy that it won this game, but like this was a low stakes game compared to where Duke wants to go and where Duke wants to be in the next month. So you're better off getting a learning experience in this game, uh, playing through some growing pains, having, you know, a little bit of a kick in the ass, uh, this close to November to, I don't know why I almost said November this close to March, um, that, I, I think that does more good for you than harm. Yeah, I, no, I agree. And uh, that leads me to obviously before the Proctor turnover, Efton Reed, the law play from Salas to Efton Reed, wakes up five, 81-76 with 51 seconds left. And he, Salas plays a perfect game. It's almost like a pitcher in the ninth inning throwing a perfect game and it's the last batter and he gets a bloop single. It's like the one mistake he made and he throws a lob off the backboard because it went over after Reed's hands. Duke gets it. Forbes looks like he's going to have a heart attack on the sideline. His hands up and on top of his head and then Phil Pawski hits his first three of the game for Duke to make it 81-79. Yeah, I mean, that was a clutch shot by, by Flip. Um, there's no other way to put that. Um Correct. Yeah, for sure. It cracks me up that that Salas. Like that's that's the whole thing about Wake, and that's why they've had Salas is going to be their third guard who's transferred in and been a first team All ACC player. Like the and the reason Alondis Williams was Player of the Year, the reason Ty Appleby was so good last year, 
And the reason Hunter Salas is so good this year is because they get freedom within Forbes' system. Like they can, they're not going to get pulled from a game for taking a bad shot. They're not going to get pulled from a game for a dumb turnover like that. And so it's just, it's this. And right now, like this late in the season, they've had four months of confidence building up in games. Like early in the season, that might not be there and that might not happen. But right now it's it's operating at its peak level and that that's gonna be good in the in the form of Hunter Salas scoring 29 points on 13 shots. And it's gonna be bad when you have a turnover with 50 seconds left and, and you're up five. Um yeah. And then, I mean and then like you said, like the, the defensive play of the game by Mark Mitchell, Mr. Minus 19, as you've almost dubbed him. I'm just saying the stat, Connor. Don't don't bullshit me. <laughs> that was a great play to get Duke a chance to win their win or tie the game, and yeah, that's all you can hope for when you're down five in the last minute. Yeah, if Proctor doesn't turn the ball over, Duke scores there. Whether they go to overtime or that wins the game for Duke, we're talking about that's the best defensive play. That's the play of the year for Duke so far this season. This is the Mark Mitchell stop. It's not the yeah. the. Hypothetical shot that Duke's makes Duke makes it's the defensive stop by Mark Mitchell and his minus 19 Connor probably would have been minus 17. So that'd have been good. Maybe minus 16, or but 16. yeah. <laughs> so, but no, in all seriousness, I was really happy and proud of Mark Mitchell because he also is getting scored on while playing good defense. Like they were making some, t- Carl was making tough right-handed hooks over top of his left shoulder with Mark Mitchell playing perfect wall defense. It's just, it's the, it's the saying it's, Better offense beats good defense. Like you can have great defense, but it's going to be better offense that scores over it. So I go back uh, two weeks ago, Wake beat State in a similar game, back and forth. Like every basket felt like it was uh, huge momentum swings each way. Um, actually, let me let me see if I have this right. This might have just dawned on me. Same exact score. Both games, uh, Wake Forest oh, wow. 83 and then NC State and Duke 79. I wish I'd – man, I hate the discourse around the court storming and all this. I've missed so much shit because of all the other shit. Yeah. It's just so shitty. Yeah. Just the talking points. Yeah, you lose sight of, like, the big picture of the game. I mean, it's all it, – it's it's so miserable. Uh, I don't know if I would feel this way if I was just covering one of these teams, but – that's uh, not the reality for me right now. Well, yeah, anyway. I, mean, I, bad, I was gonna say I feel bad for Wake because this is a, it's a monumental game, monumental win the when they needed and not only needed for the tournament, but Hunter Silas. Like if if R, if RJ Davis did not have the start they had, UNC didn't have the start they had as a team, or they start off hot. I mean, he's in the category for AC Player of the Year, and that'd be like the second or third player that's in. One's already won it with Alondis Williams as a transfer to Wake Forest, but he'd be, what, the second or third guy that'd at least be in the conversation for AC Player of the Year? So Alondis won it two years ago. Ty Appleby didn't win the vote that comes from the ACC's media and coaches. That's one vote. And then there's another vote that's the AP. So the Associated Press picks one person from each team who covers the teams, and they do their own poll. Ty Appleby won that last year. Got so it. Isaiah Wong won the won the official ACC one. Ty Appleby won the Associated Press one. One with Ty Appleby. Ty Appleby was the first player in conference history to lead the lead it in scoring and assists, first ever. Which is crazy. And yeah, that's we, that's we, insane. We didn't pay attention to it last year because Alondis almost did it two years ago, but Buddy Beheim in the NIT outscored him and passed him for the scoring title. So last year, like, I feel bad for Ty Appleby because he had a great season and we spent so much time and effort and energy tracking, okay, Alonda scored 23, so Buddy Beheim needs to score 26 in the ACC tournament. Oh, shit, he's kicked out of the ACC tournament. Are they going to go to the NIT? Alondis is in the NIT. Who's going to outscore who? And then Ty Appleby wins the scoring. I think he won the scoring title by a point or two last year and won the assists by more. And it was just like, oh, by the way, Tyree Appleby did this thing that we paid a lot of attention to last year that didn't happen. Well, he just did it. But again, since we just went through this last year and it didn't happen, now there, now it happened. It was exhaustion. Yeah, it was exhaustion and- from the year before. 
Yeah, yeah. It's almost like when a guy do- almost does it and doesn't do it, you're less excited when it actually happens, which mm-hmm. is just the way things go. So I guess that's just society and the way thing- we talk about things. Yeah. Anyway, to get back on track, two weeks ago, uh, Wake beats NC State 83-79. They made a – Andrew Carr made a game-tying bucket in the last minute doing basically the same thing that he did to score over Mark Mitchell three or four times in the second half of Duke game where he gets the ball on the low block, low, low right block and takes a couple dribbles and goes over his left shoulder. And Hunter Salas had 33 points in that game. I asked Kevin Keats after the game in the press conference, Kevin, were you a little surprised that they went not to the guy that had 33, but to Andrew Carr in the low post. And he said, no, we know that's a really, that we know that, they really like getting the ball to car down there and we know to keep him off of his left shoulder. Like we know the one way you have to defend him is keep him away from that left shoulder. And you can, it's a, it's another, it's another feather in the cap of you can have all the scouting you want. Like you yeah. can, you can scout the hell out of these guys. There sometimes they're still just going to make plays over you. Sometimes you're not you're you're gonna lose track of the scouting report when you've got forty thousand or fourteen thousand people screaming at you. It's just it is even though they're getting paid, it is amateur athletics. Well, yeah, and and not even that. It's just natural reaction. I mean, you see it in the pros, but it's just like it gives me PTSD of doing closeout drills in practice where I'm like, I had a teammate, he's left-handed, and hey. Force him right. Like, you know, that's what, that's what you see on TV. It's what everybody loves to see. Hey, force him left if he's right-handed. Force him right if he's right-handed. Whatever. But I had this teammate where we do closeout drills, and he's left-handed. So I'm like, okay, force Brian to go right. Well, he would always get me on a damn jab step every time going right, and I'd bite every time. So he'd go left. And my coach was like, J-Man, we've been doing this for three fucking years. You can't stop him. I'm like, no, because I just keep biting. And so my point being is, like, you have it in your head, hey, this is a closeout. This is what he likes to do. Don't let him do it. But then your natural reaction is you're going to bite off whatever he's doing because you're just trying to play defense and you can't yeah. help it. It's in your head what to do. You just sometimes you don't do it. And yeah. God, that just gives me PTSD. But yeah, Hunter Silas, like, hey, don't let him get to a spot. Okay. Well, you tried that. I broke that down with Tyrese Proctor, played great defense. And Hunter Silas just gives him that little shoulder in his chest and Proctor still embraces it, puts his hands up, and he shoots over top, and it doesn't hit anything but the bottom of the net. And you just shrug if, it off. If it was as simple as don't let Hunter Salas get to his spot, yeah. he wouldn't be scoring 19 points a game in the ACC. Or there is no such thing as a spot. Every spot on the floor is his spot because that guy that's, is super talented. It. And that's the thing. Like Duke has, what, two or three first-round picks on the court? When they have, yeah, when they have Proctor, Filipowski, and McCain on the court, roughly. Like I don't know what the mock is. Like if you ask me, I would say one and a half, maybe. But I will say three is because they were projected one and done. Well, McCain is, but the other two, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Hunter Salas was the best player on the court. Oh yeah, I mean that's the difference. Like, well, I the, saw. I saw, sorry to cut you off, Connor, but I saw a mock draft and I had him projected second round. And I'm like, there's no way. And then I saw like everybody on Twitter is now like a draft analyst. So take this with a grain of salt. But this guy had him like 14th overall. I'm like, okay, well, this guy has him now lifted because of the performance against Duke. It is hilarious to me how late people have been on his train this year. Like he's shooting well over 40% on threes. He's a big time player. Like, the, the Duke and State games have been Wake's biggest games of the year. He had 62 points on a combined 23 of 30. His efficiency numbers are just outrageous. And he's he's Wake's best defensive player, other yeah. than Efton Reed. He's so he's their best perimeter defender. Like that's one of like Wake fans tried to make it about Cameron Hildreth as their best perimeter defender. It's kind of one of those things where it's like are you only saying this because he's not as good of a scorer? So you just think that he's better at the other part because Hunter Salas is the best player on both ends of the court for wake, at least on the perimeter. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at stats right now, Connor, he's averaging 19, like stats. Is, I'm going to say his stats, 19 points per game, 51% from the field, 44 from three, 79 from the line. That's with a, a point guards body. That's six, five, 185. Yeah. Usually he's a one or two guard, whatever, but 
he has ball handling abilities where he can play the one at any part of the game, which we did see. Like the ball's in his hands. He went and got buckets in ISO situation against Duke, against NC State. Dude's 6'5 bucket getter. How the hell has he not been on draft boards this whole time until after the Duke game? No, that's and that's the thing is like, does he does he have to does Wake have to get that signature win for people to take stock? Like, is he is he not going to get the recognition until they have an NCAA tournament? Res- I don't I don't know. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, Connor. Like, obviously, we went on a little Wake rant there, but to bring it all back, the end of the game, uh, talk about Duke's six five guard, Tyrese Proctor. I think he's six five. He's somewhere around six five. Yeah, six five. Look. It was his best game of the year for me, or one of his best games of the year, and especially with him coming off of concussion a week ago. Like that's a high that's a high level environment for him. And he had massive three pointers when Duke needed. Yes, he had the turnover at the end of the game, but you've already heard me say this from say it to our listeners. Grant Hill credits his failure at Wake Forest throwing the pass to Leitner as the reason why he connected with the pass to Leitner in the final four against Kentucky. So just because there's failure in a big moment in the game does not necessarily mean that it's going to be a failure for the rest of the season for Tyree Spocker in big game moments. We saw him come up clutch, controversial or not, clutch against Clemson where he had to make those free throws to beat Clemson. And there's he stepped up Controversy late. about that. They called a foul. Well, I know, but I'm just controversy, saying. Controversy is Kyle Filipowski going up for a dunk at UVA in a tie game and the ACC admitting afterward that they fucked it up. I know, but – I'm just saying for anybody that's listening that's hates Duke, like I get it. But he was he showed he was clutch there. Yes, he turned it over, but there's a lot of moving parts in that situation. It was under 10 seconds left. Duke had no timeouts. The floor wasn't spaced, and he's in the middle of the floor where he should have the most space, but we had too many. Duke had three guys around him, and then the only pass he could have made to get the ball out of his hands was Phil Pasco on the wing, who was going baseline. And honestly, between you and I, and I guess now the listeners. I would have rather him throw the ball out of bounds right there than Phil Pasky catching it, trying to go ISO one on one with no timeouts left and going out of control because not that's not his game to go ISO on the wing because that's what happened in the first half and he shot an air ball because he couldn't get by his defender and so therefore it might as well have been a turnover. Yeah, the only thing I would push back on there is if you give the ball to Phil Pasky and he's going to the rim, he's got a good chance of getting fouled. Maybe it's not called because maybe the refs have swallowed the whistles in the last 10 seconds. Maybe he maybe he fumbles it out of bounds. Maybe he puts up some crazy shot that he has no chance to get a call. But, like, that's, you know, I, I go to um, – I'm exaggerating, obviously, that I would rather him throw the ball out of bounds and do get a shot up. But No, I, I know that much. I just yeah. – like. But you're right, Phil Powell, if he would go full head of steam, I honestly would not want him to get fouled because – like, he didn't miss a shot from the line. Duke actually was, like, 16 of 20 from the line, which is probably the best they've shot all year from the free throw line, especially on the road. But you're like, this guy's like a 62% free throw shooter in the year of 2024. So is he going to make two in a row? But my point being for him, if he drives, he could kick it to another guy. But you know this. I said this on the Devil's Den pod, too, that I won't roach to have the ball in the end game situation because yeah. I can live with his decision-making with – nine seconds or left nine seconds or less left with the ball in his hands and no timeouts. And I would like to see Duke more in a pick and roll situation, like, because that's Duke's bread and butter. Duke's so good in the pick and roll and nine seconds is the perfect amount of time to where the defense hard hedges, whatever Duke does a really good job moving off ball to create open shots. They're not a great ISO team, but they're really good. ISO and in the two man game, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 They're great at two playing two on two. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's why where they, that's, that's why they scored a bunch against Wake. Man, to go off that too, Connor, like the Duke, I think of like Austin Rivers shot against UNC, the first like real buzzer beater in my lifetime of Duke against Carolina. But that was such a remarkable comeback for Duke because UNC had it won and Duke just did the improbable. But to go off of like, does it translate? Duke lost in the first round that year. So it does not translate to March Madness that they closed and UNC choked and they're like wow Duke has the clutch gene as a team they lost to Lehigh so and did not have the best player on the court in that game no they did not they did not but they had the second best player and then I don't know if they had the third best player (laughs) I'm gonna be honest with you Josh Harrison (laughs) with a shooting sleeve gives me PTSD every time thinking about it Uh, Mason Plumlee was on that team I know Mason Plumlee was good Andre Dawkins was good too I'm just 
I'm just shooting the shit, but I'm just thinking of Josh Harrison wearing a shooting sleeve that couldn't hit a 15 footer. Isn't Seth Curry on the Hornets? Oh yeah, Seth Curry. That's true. Yeah, I know, Connor. I was just making a joke. You were actually my joke, goddamn. But I think that's the perfect way to end is just Connor shitting all over my joke. <laughs> I, I'm sorry for taking your jokes uh, so literal. <laughs> no, it's okay. But look, Connor, we'll end with this. Duke is obviously going to play Louisville and Virginia this week. And then when do they play NC State? Oh, that's the quick turnaround game. That's the one where uh, your court storm radar needs to go back up because yeah. NC State on a Monday night is going to be liquored up pretty high. Because they have the – it's Dorn, right? What's his – Horn? Horn? Yeah, 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 yeah. Horn, DJ sorry. Horn. I was – yeah. DJ Horn, I had the D and DJ Dorn. They had they had Torin Dorn a while yeah. ago. Yeah, Horn. Like, that's what gets Duke – I mean, that's what gets top or ranked teams beat on the road is guys that make tough shots or even at home. Blake Henson did it at Duke. Oh. And he is a tough shot maker. And so to, – to, to take that one step further, I think the two biggest villains in the ACC this year, now that Caleb Love is out of the ACC, is oversized Caleb Love at Pitt and DJ Horn, who I've seen like make throat jet, make throat slash gestures against Wake Forest and flip off a double bird the ref when he had his back turned against Wake Forest. Like I, I love it. Like he is he is a swagger player, but he plays the role of the villain perfectly. Yeah, he does. He does, and he's gonna hit tough shots and he's gonna talk his shit and PNC Arena or whatever the arena is. It's still called PNC. I can't remember. Yeah. yeah okay. Because all these, well, once Stable Center went to fucking the crypto arena, I just lost interest in changing stadium names. But he's going to be good. And is that Tuesday? Is that Monday or Tuesday? Monday. Monday, right. Monday night. Okay. So where I was going with that is our next episode will be after the NC State game. I don't know if we'll be able to fit one in between because obviously you're covering Duke and busy weekend for me as well. So it will probably be the Tuesday after the Duke-NC State game. And, yeah, it's going to be a hostile environment. But if Duke takes care of business this week against Louisville and Virginia, go into PNC, pretty or not, just win the game. We can. Duke's proven they can win ugly games, and they've proven they can win pretty games. Just got to win, win one on the road. That's all you got to do. That's the only one they have on the road left. Is it? Yeah. And then it's UNC after that? Yep. Perfect. And then we will try and preview that UNC game and recap the state game, and then we'll recap the UNC game. But, Connor, brother, I appreciate it. Thank you, as always. And I'll see you next week to recap Duke and NC State. Sounds good.